0: Hi, this is Cal Quantrill, and you're listening to the East Village Times podcast. In the West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope X prospects. Big Willie, leader of the young pups. They hating on us. Why should you them jump up? We ain't care. We ain't scared of nobody. The outfield, mad skills, Lottie dotty Austin Hedges throwing out everybody. We at the ballpark, every game's a party. Ignorance is bliss, so we never trip. If the pitching's up the pot, then watch out for the kids. EVT is out here broadcasting. EVT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick ask them. Padres EVT podcast. Padres EVT podcast.
1: Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times Podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as usual, is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? How are you doing this evening? Or this morning, I should say.
2: Whatever time of day it is, it's it's all Hosmer all the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, yeah, how's the God, just the Hosmer talk just will not go away, will it? I mean I I still stand by the fact that the Padres are are doing all this in order to sell season tickets in order to boost morale around the fan base. Because that's the only thing that'll let me sleep at night cuz this the whole this whole thing just doesn't make sense but uh we'll get into that shortly uh we are happy to have Dan Zimborski with us today ESPN baseball analyst and zip's creator this is Dan's third time on the show uh, we are lucky enough to have him before the 2016 season 2017 season and now we're going to talk 2018 Padres. Uh, Dan, how are you doing this evening or this morning? I keep wanting to say evening.
3: <laughs> well, it's the after it's the afternoon for me because I'm in the frigid climes of of far to the east of the far east of the United States. But uh, I, I'm doing well, considering since I'm inside a house and I'm not outside. And uh, I, I'm 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 secretly jealous of of you guys and your beautiful weather out there all the time, yeah. even yeah. when it's terrible. It's relatively
1: nice yeah exactly it, it, it's, it's i know it's hard for you to get out you're always you're, you're shackled to the to the zips machine right? correct correct yeah. this is the time of the year where you're you're busy and and just putting in those projections right
3: yeah yeah i had to finalize everything and if if people people start getting mad if we get towards february and i don't have the final ones out and then uh fantasy players get mad at me and uh zips uh diamond mine league people get mad at me and everyone gets mad at me my life is is people getting mad at me to one degree or another.
1: <laughs> isn't that the life of a baseball analyst, though, isn't it? I mean, that's just... Yeah. <laughs> and, <these> I... just... <laughs> and,
3: I, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't, you know, troll a little bit, because, you know, it's fun. Part of being a writer is trolling. Um, I think it was Ambrose Bierce who said, there's no point in writing unless you get someone mad. <laughs> that is there very true.
1: <laughs> there you go. Um, well, let's let's get into it right away. Uh, the Eric Hosmer talk, which just, just kind of fueled, I guess, some of the anger that Padre fans have had towards you. You've been <laughs> pretty honest and direct as far as uh, Hosmer's value. Uh, Patrick and I wholeheartedly agree. The Padres have no business at all entertaining rumors with Eric Hosmer, not, definitely not at six and seven years. Um, your thoughts on this whole situation, it's – Confusing for us uh Padre fans. We've kind of everyone's kind of at each other's throat. People are trying to justify the contract or the potential contract. Um give us your thoughts uh first on Eric Cosmer as a player and then what the hell are the Padres doing?
3: Well, he's he's not a bad player. When I when I talk about it, it's a terrible signing, it's also because of the years involved, the situation the Padres in, uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. He's a good he's an above average player, he's not a star. He's had too many down years to be able to say, hey, that guy's a four-win player. Because if he was a four-win player every year, then, then yeah, he's, we'd be in a much different position. But he's not. He's had some pretty lousy seasons sprinkled generously. Uh, so, so, But he does have a home with, like I think, the right team in the right situation. A team that is desperate for a first base. But I can see them saying, hey, let's give him 590 or 500. Uh, we're overpaying a little bit, but he fills a hole, and we are not in a position to to take on a lot of risk because we're content teams like the Red Sox are on that team. They don't really have the luxury when they expect to win 89, 90, 91, 92 games. They don't have that luxury to take those kind of chances on someone who might have higher upside but a lower floor. They need that floor, and Hosmer, uh, I mean, he's been up and down, but he probably has a, a pretty decent floor. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for the right team, I think he's the right fit. I just don't think the Padres are the right situation at all for Hosmer. So,
2: say you're the San Diego Padres right now, you're the general manager, what would be the money you'd be willing to give to Eric Hosmer at this point if you were to sign that contract, and for whatever reason you really wanted him on your team?
3: <sighs> hmm. I'd, I'd, I would give—if I really—if the ownership says, hey, you have to sign Eric Hosmer and make some kind of offer— I'd probably offer, say, four years, eighty million or something. Uh, I wouldn't be crazy about it, and I would personally think it's just not a great use of money. Uh, I, it's just, it's just poor, just poor utility and just a lot of levels. Because the thing is, people say, "Hey, well, we can sign Hosmer now, and he'll be good in a couple years." But Hosmer isn't really the type of player that's so good that you want to reserve his services for years down the road <laughs> when you don't even know what your specific, specific hole is. That's like saying. I'm gonna go on a diet this next year. So I'm gonna buy smaller clothes that I'll fit in two years from now. <laughs> and they're not even like great clothes, they're like just like the <laughs> average clothes you get at Walmart, like like brand name jeans for like like Walmart brand jeans that are like twelve ninety nine. It's like you can buy those in two years. You don't yeah. need to commit to your Walmart jeans years in advance. These aren't some some classic vintage jeans you saw at a store, and they would sell for like $200, and you're getting them for 30 It's not like that. You have to have the diet first. You have to see how fat you are in two years. Uh, because what happens if Will Myers can't stay healthy in the outfield? He's never been healthy for a full season in the outfield. What happens if Josh Naylor, who's obviously pretty terrible defensively, what if he develops into a big power bat? Uh, and, and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, we have a lot of first basemen now. And he, as you can see from the free agent market, people aren't overpaying for first baseman, generally speaking. Uh, you look at how Mark Trumbo had to walk back hat in hand, essentially, to the Orioles after last offseason. Now, Hosmer's better than Trumbo, but I, I think that some of the weaker-run teams are kind of bidding among themselves for his services.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for for me it's a small-market team against another small-market team trying to pay a guy too much money when... Like like you said, first basemen don't really get those big checks anymore. And the guys that do, it doesn't usually work out well. And, yeah, you can argue Hosmer's younger and, and maybe he has more potential in the bat if he hits more fly balls, blah, blah, blah. You've heard all the arguments of he can do this, he can do that. But it's like if he was the same player for six years in Kansas City, why is he suddenly going to be a different player? I mean, he was up and down, up and down. I mean, sure, last year was a, a height for him, but do you really expect him to go any higher? And, I mean, last year what he was like, I think a four-win player. And, I mean, his defense is arguably bad. I mean, people say, oh, the eye test, he's good, but the advanced stats say no. So do you think his defense gets better? I mean, it's just it doesn't really make sense at this point where he's going. And I think now we have offers on the table. Apparently the Padres are at 7-140 and the Royals are reportedly at
3: 7-147. So, I mean... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's just... <laughs> it's given, like, this is, this is the worst bidding ever. That's like... Yes.
2: To me, if that's if those are the offers, it's like, what incentive does he have to come to San Diego? I mean, the Royals are giving him... You can say seven million more, but with with California taxes, I mean it's it's a, a bigger chunk than that. So even if the Potters go 7150 one fifty, or I don't even want to talk about any higher. Even um, <laughs> if they go you higher than eighth that, eighth year. Yeah, I, I just can't, <laughs> oh, I can't see him signing. I mean, the original <laughs> price asking price was what eight year two hundred million, according to Boris. Which I mean, obviously you got to take what Boris says with a grain of salt, but um, yeah, I just don't see that being a logical use of money at this point.
3: Um yeah uh yeah. the I mean the Boris figure the 8200 it, it looks a little less crazy now. Yeah, I remember yeah. some years some some years ago uh for a consulting for a dating job uh uh I I I pitched a a, a figure and I thought it was abs- absurdly high and I was really surprised when it was taken. I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I I was prepared to be much lower. I mean, I didn't say that because that's that's a really poor negotiating tactic, but it, it, it felt a lot like that. Uh, I, I, I've i just... I mean, how many uh, contract long... Have you ever seen... How many contracts are there even ever for like mid-tier guys for seven years? I mean, some people have actually made the comparison to Matt Holiday. But Matt Holiday, uh, he had a career OPS Plus at the time of his contract of like 133, which matches Hosmer's best season in the majors. Wow. Uh, Holiday's was clearly well and above uh, Hosmer's uh, expected level of ability, and it just takes a lot of optimism. It's it's hard to see that how he would go to San Diego at this point unless they turn around and make another huge bid over the Royals because he could go back to Kansas City where they're going to love him now because he, can, he won the World Series for them as part of that team. They're going to love him now whatever he does. They've never really cared about his defense before and say, like, go Gloves. All that. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to imitate someone without being boring, yeah. so I, I, I stopped that. Uh,
2: uh, but, yeah. <laughs> will we ever reach a point where we don't use gold gloves as a value of any sort?
3: <laughs> Probably not. They are generally getting better. Yeah. Uh, getting the Society for American Baseball Research involved, uh-huh. uh, getting those guys involved in the selection process early on has has improved it. Uh, they're they're less absolutely ludicrous ones, mm-hmm. uh, and as as gold gloves go, I mean Hosmer isn't the worst ever, yeah. and it's and they're not really a lot of great first basemen because it's not a position you think of as having a lot of great glove guys. So it's it's the gold gloves are probably getting better. Ironically, at a time where data is more important than gold gloves. Yeah, uh, I,
2: think, I think it's kind of funny that we use gold gloves as a, a, ma- a measure of performance when we have all these advanced stats now. I know that those aren't perfect measures of any sort, but I mean, when you give a guy a gold glove and, and, def- and those stats say he's one of the worst defenders, it's just kind of a little confusing, but I mean, that's kind of the, the game we're in now, I think.
3: Yeah. De- defensive stats. I mean, defensive stats are, are quite volatile. Mm-hmm. You'd be very careful about, about reading too much into them in short periods of time, which always makes it awkward when you're, um, evaluating players for a gold glove in one individual season you you can get too caught up in like some guy's one year bump so uh, he's he's uh, what it what it comes down to is in the old glow Glove awards, it was actually more likely for a player to win three gold gloves consecutively than one gold glove because there was just a tremendous incumbent advantage mm-hmm. uh, so but data 's getting better and over the long term it 's pretty good i I would never say uh haz was not good because of x one year ultimate zone rating, but yeah. when you have but when you're talking about like negative three a year for by info solutions four or five by u z r over a very long period of time we're talking he's probably up like around ten thousand innings off offhand maybe a little less uh and at at that point when you have that amount of data uh, it, it becomes much. The defensive statistics become much more valuable than in the short term. Mm-hmm.
2: So I kind of wanted to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, we have all this talk about Eric Hosmer, and I'm kind of curious as to why you think there's no love for Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakas, also from the Royals, also in free, free agency, also looking for that big ticket deal. I'm kind of curious as to why those two guys maybe aren't gaining the same amount of attention. I know for Cain it might be age, I think he's 32 now. I think Moustakas is 29. Obviously his year wasn't nearly as good as Hosmer, but I'm kind of curious as to what you see the value of those two guys as.
3: Well, the, the awkward thing for Mastakis is that uh, third base, there are a lot of really good third basemen already on contending teams. And when you run down the teams that are in a position to spend a lot of money to upgrade, there are not a lot of teams that uh, are really, really need to. I mean, let's like go over like the playoff teams last year. You have Bryant with the Cubs. You have Arenada with the Rockies. Uh, you have Rendon with the Nationals. You have Turner with the Digers. You have Bregman with the Astros. Uh, you, you go up and down the list, and there's a lot of guys that Moustakas wouldn't take the place of. Miguel Sano in, in Minnesota. He, they made the playoffs. They, they don't need anyone there. Uh, so when you look at it, you say there's actually a fairly few suitors for his services, and that drives down his cost. Uh, and one of the teams that might have been interested, and in fact was rumored to be interested, was the Angels. But the Angels have already brought Zach Cozart in to play third base and play, he has a really good glove there, so that's, another less, that's one less team that, that would be interested. And another spending team that had a poor year, uh, the Giants, they, they already acquired Longoria. So then you look at it, and like, who has the bad third baseman? And you get teams like the Marlins and uh, probably the Rays, the Royals, the White Sox, uh, the Braves, and none of those teams are really in a position to start spending, you know, 70 or 80 million on the stockists. Uh, I think it's kind of the problem that Justin Turner had last year when – he was obviously a better free agent than Moustakas, and even he ran into some problems with the interest simply because there wasn't that great match between spending team with a need and and his services, and that's why, you know, one of the reasons he went back to the Dodgers. Also, he was comfortable there, but uh, not to get too far into the weeds with Justin Turner, but I, I think Moustakas, it's just hard to find a real good match for him to to max out his salary. Uh, and next year won't even get better, so he can't even really take a pillow contract because next year he's going off against Machado and Josh Reynolds. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, good luck with that. Um, I think my thing is, if you look at Hosmer for seven years, 140, I mean, wouldn't it make more sense if, if the prices of Kane and Mustakis fell to just sign both those guys for around the same amount of money? And fill, oh, absolutely. And if you stick Kane in left field with, with Margot in center and you stick Moustakas at third, I mean, wouldn't that make more logical sense to fill two holes than to fill a hole at first base that doesn't really exist?
3: it absolutely would if that is the route you're going to go uh i'd I'd still like the team to see do different things there Mm -hmm. uh market i think i think teams are scared off about the age and the fact that he gets a lot of his defensive value from being a good center fielder and you know those those mid center fielders approaching their mid 30s uh you know in the in the terms of a contract they don't generally stay good defensive players uh but But I do think that that there is considerable value there for the right team for Kane.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it. I don't know if it's just a Hosmer talk, but I'm like talking myself into having Kane in left field because that's actually a a long term hole if you don't think Perella's a long term sort of player, which I I really don't think I do. Um, So I think that makes more sense than moving Myers out there and signing Hosmer because I think Kane. I think if you can get Kane in like the four year 70 million or 80 million, I think that's. I mean, it's obviously pricey. It's it's better. He's an older guy, but yeah, I mean, I think there's less. I don't want to say less risk, because obviously there's risk there, but it's less money overall, and I think it doesn't saddle you as much as Hosmer for seven years would. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm crazy for talking myself into
3: that, but here I am. What do you think, Chase? If you're you're given the choice between you have to spend that money, I I think it's a better use. Personally, I I prefer to still see Perella out there. I don't think Perella is a long-term fit either, but I Mm -hmm. think the point is where the – padres are rebuilding is those are questions you ask of the players you're not just finding your next star you're finding your next fourth outfielder your next decent uh but not star level third outfielder who you can replace in five years uh teams don't just rebuild by accumulating great prospects they also have to focus on some of the lesser guys and some of those guys really work out uh obviously it's better than the typical result But you look at the Astros. Carlos Correa, of course, was an amazing prospect. But Jose Jose, Jose Altuve and Dallas Keuchel were not top prospects. And obviously that is the the very high end of how players like that are going to work out. But when you're rebuilding a team, you want to dip as many irons in the fire as you can to try to find some of these guys. And I think that you should look – the team's – shouldn't really frame it as tanking so much as doing things that contending teams can't as i said before contending teams can't really just plug in a jose perilla and see what they have the red Sox can't afford to do that the yankees can't afford to do that but the padres can and that's the benefit of being a rebuilding team is you can find you can find out all this information about players that you wouldn't otherwise be able to and that's why I think that not playing a Perella is really just a very, just a missed opportunity
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you Dan in, in that regard uh, you know, Perella was just was obviously the best hitter on the Padres for uh, a couple months last season and in order for this team in order to maximize worth and maximize value, they're going to want to try to get the most out of him and potentially ship him off if if teams, contending teams call for him you know, Perella's not a Type of player that you're going to build your team around. He's 28, 29 now. Um, but when someone has a season like that, you, you're you're going to want to see whether or not it's a fluke or not. You, you made the 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 comparison between Keiko and Altuve, and, and that's that's what the Padres need to do. They need to let these. Prospects play and see what they have at this point because we don't want to make the same mistakes that this Padre team's made in the past in in dealing prospects and dealing young players and then having them develop on on other teams. That's, there's nothing worse than that. Um, God, this this Hosmer talk's gotten me nauseous though. We we we, we <laughs> need to get we need to move on from
3: that. Uh, but uh, uh, even if Altuve and Keuchel is say a little unfair comparison because the are yeah. oh. one of those guys. but even if you can say like Adam Duvall with the Reds. Exactly. Adam Duvall is probably yeah, more. Yeah, the Giants to let the Giants let him go, and weren't
1: they uh, asking for him this offseason as well? I mean, that's something they need right now is as a, as a corner outfielder.
3: Yeah, and you look at the Reds; they didn't block that position, and they didn't know what they had in Adam Duvall. Nobody yeah. can say that when they they brought him in for the Giants, he had like two weeks of a like one month or something of a cup of a cup of coffee that wasn't even that good and they gave him the opportunity to see what they had in adam Duval. and no adam Duval didn't become a star but he's a player that has some value he has an mm-hmm. all-star appearance they could get something for him uh shebler uh, scott shebler is a lesser prospect but he hit 30 home runs and that has some value and even if perello does not become a star he might become a player with some value to a to a contending Padres team, because they're not going to spend 150000000 million. They're not going to spend $200 million, obviously. Oh, and they need some players like that. They need some yeah. of those one to two to two and a half guys. And those guys can be traded to other teams for when those teams need those guys. But they don't seem that interested in doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's briefly go over uh, your... Thoughts on the Freddy Galvez uh, for annual De Los Santos trade that the Padres made. Um, That seemed really counterproductive to what they're preaching at this point and trying to develop young players. Um, You know, I was never really high on De Los Santos. I I can definitely see the upside and the potential. But I think that AJ probably more than anything was just tired of fielding questions about shortstops at this point and just (laughs) wanted someone to go out there and be adequate defensively more than anything and just just not have to have to answer any more questions about shortstops which has just been just been just fed down his just shoved down his throat the past two or three seasons. Um give me your thoughts on Galvez. Uh, I know he's not highly regarded. Uh just give me your thoughts in general on, on the trade and, and whether or not it would have been better for this team to throw money at Zach Kosart uh seeing that he only signed for what thirty nine million? Yeah, that was million.
3: yeah. I was I was surprised that that Cozart got that quickly. Uh, I I'm not a fan of the Galvis trade. That was the first trade this this off season that got the Padres fans mad at me. It was kind of a kind <laughs> of it was a double whammy. First, they were mad at me for being mad about the Galvis trade. Then they got mad at me for being mad about the uh, the Hosmer rumors. Uh, I, I I don't I don't think it's really that productive. He's not he's not you know the the some kind of defensive player that's that's descended from the heavens or something yeah. <laughs> he's probably above average let's say 5 runs a year that doesn't really have a difference with developing young pitching i mean 5 runs over 160 games that's like a run a month i mean how i don't think that pitchers remember you know i he saved yeah. me that half a run <laughs> that time in march uh it's it's a little silly to say that oh he's going to develop young pitchers better uh, I it, It's kind of silly. I the, the Padres do obviously have shortstop prospects coming, which is why I think that it would have been just made more sense to get a, a full-time look at someone like Jose Rondon. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a star by any means, but just like we were talking about Perella, I want to see what they have. Galvis gives you no information for the future. It doesn't tell you anything about a player that the Padres hope to have when they contend. It doesn't prepare for contention in any way it just uses up a roster spot essentially it's it's like treading water it's it's like drinking a non-alcoholic beer it's like <laughs> if you're gonna drink a non-alcoholic <laughs> beer why are just, i yeah, mean yeah just lots do of it people, <laughs> yeah, lots of people don't drink alcohol if you're not gonna drink alcohol just drink why water would you gonna yeah or or a soda or something something that actually is good but a non-alcoholic <laughs> beer is like ugh, who, who cares uh,
2: yeah i think the, I, yeah i think the bigger issue is not that not that it's like we don't want them to trade prospects it's just trading a prospect for a guy who's probably going to be here for a year and not really doing much and then be gone like it's like what was yeah, the point I, I mean are you really worth is it really worth paying that just to have a competent shortstop when I'm sure you could have found at least a halfway decent one, either on free agency or within your own system. So to me, it just was kind of questionable unless they really think they can sign Galvis long-term and he's like a long-term fit, which that, I guess that would mean that Tatis would play third, but I, I don't well, really I, see that.
1: I mean, uh, Galvez would be an awesome super utility guy maybe three, four years down the road or two, two years down the road, but I, I don't see him extending with the Padres with that in mind. I mean, I, I don't know who...
3: Yeah, someone yeah, st- uh, tried to reassure me on Twitter, saying it- it's okay because Preller said they could they could give him some money to be a to be a long term utility guy. Yeah, I'm just thinking, <laughs> does that make it better?
1: Paying <laughs> exactly. for a long term
3: exactly. contract to a uh, potential starting shortstop for a team, paying him that kind of money to be a utility guy that makes this better somehow. Yeah. Yes. Like that's not really how it works, uh, and. What it comes down to is you're not going to flip Galvez in all likelihood for for much of value this year. It's not like he's going to like fetch someone's top five prospect come July. No one's going to say, "Oh, we're in trouble. Let's get yeah. Freddie Galvis to save yeah. the pennant race." It's yeah. it's not it's not <laughs> happening at all. What, um, what are you talking? About? You know, the Padres are going to
1: going to package Chase Headley and Freddie Galvis to the Yankees for. For Aaron Judge, isn't that in the in the works? It, it, God, it's,
2: I, it's, 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 I love great trade uh, <laughs> possibilities like uh, we're going to get Christian Yelich for uh, Chase Headley and Corey Spangenberg and um, yeah, a exactly. low-level prospect. Yeah. Those are my favorite. Um, anyway, anyway. I'd, I'd rather not talk about that. But
3: <laughs> Well, well, well people, people were telling me, like De Los Santos, they're saying, yeah, he was a good prospect, but the Padres have a lot of good prospects. We have enough pitching prospects. I'm like, what do you mean you have enough pitching prospects? Have you actually <laughs> ever seen how pitching prospects work? You have enough pitching prospects. When your, te- when your pitching staff is 12 All-Stars, that's when you have enough <laughs> pitching prospects. There is nothing that is inevitable about really any pitching prospect. I'd actually say any pitcher simply because of their injury rate. But, yes, they, the Padres do have some excellent pitching prospects. You can always use another. There is no maximum. There's no like, oh, we have 11 pitching prospects at AAA. We can't even have wings to play him. That That's that's happened zero times in history.
2: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't buy the argument that, oh, we didn't need De Los Santos because he's like the 11th best one. It's like, well, so what? Maybe the five of the top ten crash and burn, which is highly probable at this point because that's yeah. kind of how pitching prospects work. But let's uh, try to be a little more – Cheerful. Um, I want to talk well, about your. You zips.
3: didn't bring me on to be cheerful. <laughs> I want to talk yeah. about your zips projections and kind of. Um,
2: <laughs> I know a lot of people criticize zips and other projection systems because I don't think people really understand what projection means. I think it's like if you're off on your projection, they say, "Oh, you're wrong. You didn't get the numbers right." It's like, well, a projection is is obviously providing um, what we think may happen. It's not a, this is what's going to happen. It, it provides a range of outcomes uh, that a guy could be in this range. So I kind of want to know your thoughts on, on kind of that argument and how, how, how do you get the average fan to buy more into what you're doing? Because I think it's really hard to, for average fans like Joe Schmo to, to buy into how these projections work and what they really entail. So I wanted to maybe have you could talk for a few minutes on that and kind of how you get people more on board i guess <laughs> it,
3: it, it's all it's always tricky uh to do that kind of thing because you know they have to get some buy-in on sabermetric on, on some level uh so, so a lot of times when i'm when i'm talking with more casual fans i don't focus on projection type stuff because i mean i'm a general sabermetrics guy and projections is just one of the things that i do but it's people forget just that we are Projections are essentially a midpoint of a very large range Mm -hmm. uh, of outcomes. Like, I look at Stanton's projection. He's projected to hit 55 home runs for the (laughs) Yankees. But that's a midpoint projection. Uh, Like, if you look at it, 2% of the time, he plays a full season and is projected to hit fewer than 20 home runs. That means if I'm projecting, you know, a million seasons of of stanton two percent of that time he you expect him to hit fewer than 20 home runs uh, and you, you see that on the team level too people are like why are you so certain i'm like i'm not certain have you seen the the playoff odds i mean i predicted the phillies and the braves to have like single digit percentages of the playoffs coming into the season because the future is extremely uncertain uh, a good example for on the team level is that if you knew Every single game was a coin flip if you knew that every team was a five hundred team with absolute certainty after one hundred and sixty two games you 're still going to miss by eight wins uh, by nearly on nearly twenty percent of the teams and that is with perfect knowledge we don 't have perfect knowledge we 'll never come close to perfect knowledge. Uh, I think the best example is one year when I had the Rangers projected to 85 wins. That was with a certain assumption of what their roster would look like. Mm-hmm. When you projected it with all the injuries who actually played, that projection would have dropped to 68 wins with no difference than just different players ending up getting the playing time. Uh, the the future is are certain. It's foggy. We can dig through the fog and, 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 and see what's going on to an extent, but there's always going to be... Surprises, and you kind of know you're, how often you're going to be wrong. Uh, which is almost the, per, the, the the depressing thing about running projections is you know how very wrong you're going to be in that midpoint projection because of those error bars.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of like you're projecting something that's not, like you said, it, it, the future's uncertain. I mean, especially when you see how many teams do you project where their roster looks the same at the end of the year, at the beginning? I mean, who would have thought Jose Perella would put up I think he put up like two or three war last year. I mean, who would have projected that? I don't even know if that was like his highest projectile in your in your Zips projections. I mean, it's just you can't really account for those sort of things. You can't out account for the Dodgers trading for you, Darvish, or the Astros getting Verlander. Um, or you see, like, like you mentioned the Rangers, they were a team that had like 5,000 injuries one year. It's like you can't project all those things, and you can't. There's no way possible to anticipate that, and there's never going to be a way to anticipate the future unless we get into time travel, which... We probably shouldn't talk about that <laughs> on a baseball podcast, but it's, it's it's just an unknowable thing and I think for I think more people just need to understand that whether it's an average fan or whether it's someone who's deep into sabermetrics. I mean it's just it's hard to really criticize you for getting something wrong when you're providing just a snapshot of a, a much larger picture.
3: Uh as an example, um, when I was on the Gwintelligence podcast, they asked me to project what are the odds that Hosmer is worth 200 million over six years. And that still ga- <laughs> it still gave a real percent. Two mm-hmm. and a half, give or take a, 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 a tenth of a percent. Two and a half percent, it projected that odds. Because it means even as negative I am as Hosmer, there's a chance he is a superstar for the mm-hmm. next six years and is worth 200 million. And, and, and getting him for like 120 and six would be a ridiculous deal. Because, again, this, the figure's very uncertain. Uh, he could be worth two wins over the next six years very easily. You could have two bad seasons, get injured, fall out of baseball. Happened to Prince Fielder, who was a better player at the time, uh, though in substantially worse physical shape. But 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 uh, but I digress. There's there's a huge range of outcomes, and teams go tend to go with the likely outcomes. Uh, teams that chase dreams and slim hopes and and the nice roll of the twenty sided die, they get in trouble in the long term, which is why you see teams being tend to be more conservative and less gambling than they used to be for these big contracts.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's it's even harder for the fans because it seems like fans are, like you said, betting on that higher projectile and they're they're betting on him being a superstar. But it's like if you've seen his body of work and, and there's a very good chance with the projections that he could be that average player, I mean, you I don't really see a I don't really see the argument for paying him like for that 2.5% chance that he becomes a superstar. It just seems asinine, especially for a team <laughs> well, here, who, who can't afford to eat money like the Red Sox or the Yankees l- or the Dodgers.
1: L- let, me play, let me play devil's advocate here, and let's talk about the clubhouse presence that he brings and the leadership, which everyone wants to talk about and blah, 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 that justified this contract. Is that even worth that, this type of money? I mean, we've seen clubhouse leadership fall apart in the past, and... Let's let's talk about that. Is that even? I mean, Dan, what your thoughts on that? I know Cliphouse... It's it's a nice to have. It's a nice
3: yeah. to have, but it's not something you can count on. It's funny because people who will go on about that will say that the saber that sabermetrics is robotic. Yeah, there's something there's something robotic about. Labeling some person in a particular group of players, labeling that person clubhouse leader, and then moving him to a different situation in a different city with 24 completely different teammates uh, and saying, oh, well, he will fit in here and also be clubhouse leader. Uh, I mean, I get along with my friends, but I can't guarantee that if you move me, say, oh, oh, look at Dan. He gets along with his with his friends. Let's move him to a group of strangers. They'll like him, too. Like, yeah. no, that's not necessarily true. I can, I can give you a lot of groups of strangers that don't like me. Uh, um, what well my, well my friends do. It's, I mean, you expect Hosmer to do well with his team because a lot of the players he came up through the minors with, he came up with, like, Moustakis and these guys. He came of age in the majors with these guys. He won a World Series with these guys. Obviously, they're going to have a pretty good opinion of him. Uh, in, in a situation like that, that doesn't mean that he can, that he can that you just okay, all that stuff. Let's kind of transplant it. Let's have a a friendship transplant, the friendship <laughs> transplant surgery, where you yeah. remove like a piece of someone's brain that causes friendship and and move it to another person, like yeah. like the worst kids movie version of face-off ever uh (laughs) you you, you just can't count on that it's it's an intangible which means it can be good or bad yeah Uh, and it's hard to measure it's something you're nice to have If here you sign him and he does well in the clubhouse and yeah that's good that's nice it's not something that you pay 147 million for
1: yeah i james shields was labeled as a clubhouse leader when he came to the padres and by the time his tenure ended he was not listed as a clubhouse leader. He, they couldn't wait to get him out of town. So you're yeah. right. Things change and an environment dictates the way a person acts and the way a person leads for that matter. So it, it's asinine to, to say that he's going to come over here and change the winning culture of this team. Cause that's just not possible at this point. He's not a yeah, he... uh, super entity that uh, <laughs> baseball man that can come over and, and do this. It's, it's just, it's foolish.
3: Yeah. They, they, they... It's like the Mr. Miyagi's, uh, <laughs> Mr. Miyagi complex, where you think that there's some some sort of wise and old man. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, obviously he's not an old man. But, of course, Pat Morita was actually not that old. Uh, <laughs> you, if you want to feel old, uh, um, uh, Ralph Macchio is older now than than uh, Pat Morita was wow. in oh, the Karate God. Kid. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah I just thought I'd come and depress you guys. Thank you, thank you. Let's talk about the old. I feel depressed.
1: (laughs) maybe we can talk about the Chargers next to to finish
3: this. Oh, please stop!
1: (laughs) I will leave. (laughs) Well, Dan's from Baltimore, so he kind of he kind of knows the pain that we're going through right now. I'm sure there was a a period in your time where, where football was not relevant because the. The Orioles well, or the uh, Colts were
3: gone? It, it's funny what happened. See, I'm slightly too young to have developed an attachment to the Colts. Uh, okay. They were six or I was five or six. I forget. Was it 1984 that they left? Uh, now I need to open my keyboard and Google yeah. this furiously because I don't remember we, the exact we, year. We're starting
1: to NFL podcast now a little bit. Yeah. Here. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, it, it was uh, December 18, 1983. So it was kind of 83 and 84 since it was on that okay. cusp. Okay. Uh, I was too young. I was five in nineteen eighty-three uh, when, when they moved, so I, I didn't have an attachment. Uh, my dad's family was from Pittsburgh, so I became a Steelers fan.
1: Oh and no, good for you!
3: <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing: nobody told me when I was five that in another another dozen years that the or- that not the Orioles at the at the Baltimore would get another football team that would be the the uh, the, Ar- the rivals. Yeah, yeah this, uh, so it's like, it's like, well, you know, nobody told me this when I was five. I might have picked a different team to follow. So I'm, I'm kind of this weird uh, situation where I'm a Steelers fan from Baltimore. Nice, uh, nice. And it's like, well, you know, you had to tell me these things.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You had you had to fire up the crystal ball to see to see that the the, the Ravens were going to form in, in fifteen years, right?
3: Yeah, and you see my sister, she's younger than me, and she was too young to have become a Steelers fan before the Ravens came. So she's a diehard Ravens fan. So even though we grew up together, we ended up with like drastically different uh uh rooting interests. Wow. Uh, and, and we kind of get each other. I uh I was I was uh ha- I was uh feeding her cats cuz she was uh in away uh with her husband uh for his family's Christmas, and I was there feeding their cats. And I I I bought a little uh, Steelers infant shirt and I put it on her cat <laughs> and I, I sent photos of her cat wearing it to her. And she was she was imagining like why would you do that? I'm like, oh Because my. of this reaction. <laughs>
2: That's too funny.
1: All right, All right, well let's let's
2: transition off the NFL talk because
1: I don't know what depresses me worth, Hosmer talk or Chargers talk. It's at this point, <laughs> it's just the Definitely same. Definitely <laughs> Hosmer
2: talk. Cause I actually care?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Patrick's Patrick's completely bathed himself of the Chargers. He did that before they left, so good okay, for can, him. I
2: can we say? Did you see? Uh, did you see that tweet, James? Of uh, on air, they said um, back to you in uh, San Diego, and the announcer was like, I, "I wish we were in San Diego, but we were in, we're in LA." <laughs> <laughs> oh. On air, it was like the greatest thing ever. I made yeah, my it's... whole like year. Um, no,
3: it's 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 understandable because you know, if you ask me about say the Astros for like the first quarter of a second, I think they're still in the NL West. Yeah, uh, really. I I still kind of feel like the Brewers are in the NL East. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it because, felt weird for me yeah. to
1: watch the World Series seeing the Astros and the Dodgers. You know. Because, like you said, I'm like, wait, those are two National League teams. Well, wait, no, they're in the
2: American League now. Yeah,
3: who are they playing in the World Series? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have lost – my bracket is broken. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, it's kind of wild that um, even in my lifetime, I mean, I was obviously younger when the Astros moved, but I still kind of think of them as a a National League Central team, and it's kind of weird to see – them playing against the Dodgers in a World Series. You're kind of like, what's going yeah. on?
1: Well, I, I can remember when they were Padre rivals. That's how old I am. I mean, Dang, they were in the Grandpa. National League West at one point. It was, so were the Reds, I believe. I mean, the the, the yeah, old the, standings were, were just
3: Yeah, the
2: divisions odd. have changed quite a lot since the, the
1: old divisions were odd.
3: Right, I always well, like how the Braves were in the NL West.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: It's like, exactly. wait, wait, who's done this map? It, it's a little like the Pacific Coast League now. Since they kind of took the half of the American Association, so you have like Iowa and the Pacific Coast, and New Orleans and the Pacific Coast. It's like, yeah. uh, I I don't think you guys have looked at a map. It's, it's, you guys are yeah. not on the Pacific Coast. Exactly, exactly.
2: All right, so let's uh, let's transition. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to two uh, thousands and nineties. Let's talk about uh, Trevor Hoffman. Um, obviously, the Hall of Fame's kind of a hot topic of discussion as we get. I think we're what three weeks until. They reveal yeah, it's,
3: it goes forever. Uh, yeah, it does go it forever. Might be two it? weeks. It might be two weeks now. It's like what the eighteenth or something. Yeah, I think it's either Ooh. the
2: eighteenth or I thought it was twenty
3: some. But I, what do I know? I should um, look it up because I have I have like a couple articles to do running up to it. So I I should check that out at some point. Because my editor's say, <laughs> hey, uh, where are those articles? Dan, like, oh, I was put the right something. Um, yeah, yeah, I just need a couple hours to uh, yeah to stuff. finalize them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I wanted your thoughts on uh, Trevor Hoffman. He's obviously been. Kind of a hot topic, uh, will he be a Hall of famer? Probably should he be a Hall of famer? Um, I wanted your thoughts on him and and maybe more generally the value of closers and and kind of how you can make that argument for them being in the Hall of Fame
3: yeah, closers are a tricky subject because for other players for other positions, you have kind of a lot of a lot of precedents that you can look at. The Hall of Fame's history. You can see, say, the body of first basemen that are in, and say, "Hey, is this guy in that group and not in the group that's not in the Hall of Fame?" You could do that with 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 like first basemen, uh, with closers. That's a little tricky because the modern closing job, uh, as opposed to even the relief ace job, which was around before. Uh, you know, the whole Herman Franks, Bruce Sutter, everyone's doing it. We're, we're only really starting to see some of these career modern closers become eligible for the ballot. So the standards of who should be in the Hall of Fame are still really, really fluid. Uh, you're, you're kind of seeing that with, with designated hitters to the same uh, extent, where they don't have defensive value, but it's a position that American League teams realistically have to fill. They do contribute. So how do you how do you consider them? Uh, I personally think that Trevor Hoffman is over my line. Uh, the problem, of course, becomes so many players right now are over the line. We have a ridiculous logjam, uh, and it's it's not like that historically. Uh, you go back to some years in the 30s and 40s, and more than 20%, nearly a quarter, of plate appearances were by people who were, event- who were Hall of Famers, because that was the Hall of Fame standard, and throughout history, that never really got below, say, 15% of plate appearances being by Hall of Famers, and that that suddenly drops in the 80s. Uh, Obviously, some of these guys have left to run, but the majority, they've been evaluated and either allowed in or rejected. Uh, So I I think that Hoffman, he is over my line. I don't think he's a slam dunk, but he's over my line. But it's such a mess of a ballot that it gets gets harder to get him in. Uh, I think personally... Even if you say my like my twelfth best candidate or twelfth most favorite candidate, the fact that he can get over seventy five percent is a pretty big deal. I hate having to game the ballot. Uh, theoretically, I don't have my ballot yet. I'm in the Baseball Writers Association, but I'm not. I haven't had enough time to get a vote yet. Uh, the the internet guys are just starting to get their vote next year. When Christina, Carl, and Keith Law, uh, the people who went in the first year, uh, start mm-hmm. to get their ballots. Uh, so. It's still a while for me, but theoretically, I hate having to game my ballot. But I think that's where we are, uh, that we just need to clear, clear the logjam. And even if you think Hoffman's a marginal candidate, getting him off the ballot frees up all those votes. And again, yeah. I hate yeah. having to talk about that. But I think he's over my line, and I'd more prioritize voting for him simply because that you can get him off the ballot. Uh, and not in the bad way of of falling below 5%, the good way of getting over 75% and getting to give a speech. Uh, So I'd I'd put him in. I think
2: my my biggest issue kind of lies in what you just said is that should we be voting for guys (laughs) that are maybe a sure thing or or probably should be a sure thing at the expense of guys like Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland who very well could fall off the ballot after a year or two? So how much, how much weight do you put into that? If you were in the vote, if you were a voter right now, you were in those shoes, would you favor the 10 best candidates or would you be one of those guys? I know there's several voters who have said they voted for guys like Roland just to keep him on the ballot because if he falls below that threshold, he's no longer on the ballot. So how do you weigh that kind of discussion?
3: I would absolutely be a ballot, a ballot gamer. I would focus on the guys who I can get over 75, but aren't slam dunks and the ones that can get over five that should be in. Because once you get, once a guy falls under 5%, they're, they're not part of the conversation anymore, except among, you know, the nerdier circles. You don't see Lou Whitaker come up in Hall of Fame arguments, because he's not really on the ballot. But I mean, he comes up of us bemoaning that he's not in the Hall of Fame, but he never really becomes part of, like, the actual ballot conversation, uh, and after 15 years of that, he would have been more likely to make that veteran committee's ballot. I think it's absurd that Whitaker is going in with Jack Morris instead of instead of Whitaker. Oh, did I say Whitaker? With Alan Trammell, yeah. Uh, Alan Trammell. It's it's ridiculous. He's not going in with Whitaker. He's going in with with frigging Jack Morris. Of all yeah. people.
1: Uh,
3: <laughs> but that, yeah, the, that... <laughs> I mean,
1: the, the voting is is crazy. I mean, it really. I mean, I point to someone who. In my mind, is is a is a Hall of Famer, and it's not even even. I think he's under ten percent right now, and it's someone that I never really even liked or cared for. And that's Jeff Kent at second base, who arguably has some of the best numbers at the position in the history of the game, and he's struggling to get ten percent of the votes. I mean, that's like what's going on here.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not voting for people. Because, I mean, because they're likable. I mean, Je- Jeff Ken. I don't think did anyone really like Jeff Ken. No, no,
1: nobody did. But I mean, does anyone?
3: Like... <laughs> one likes Kurt Schilling? Yeah, yeah I mean, Schilling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's been spending like the last three years trying to be as big a douche nozzle as possible. But <laughs> he was he 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 he, he, sh- he still should be in the Hall of Fame. It's not the the Hall of really nice people. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, Babe Ruth was a gigantic uh, jerk. I mean, you could. Go from yeah. the stories about the possibly apocryphal one of him holding Miller Huggins out the back of a moving train. Yeah. Um, what about the... Ty Cobb? Yeah, I want to go that far back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have Cap Anson in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and really. he he was active in insta- in encouraging MLB to institute a color barrier. Yeah, it's like, I mean, uh, uh, the the, the politics are... in the Hall of Fame. And... <laughs> So, and He didn't want black players in it. It's like you know, and compared to guys like that, that that stuff. I mean, Kurt Schilling just being a loud jerk on Twitter is kind of almost he's small. Just annoying. In a yeah, way. He's just yeah, annoying <laughs> yeah, he's just annoying at this. Yeah, he's an annoying guy. It's not like <laughs> it's not like. Imagine if 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 Kurt Schilling had single handedly got gay marriage banned throughout the country. <laughs> that would be much worse. Yeah, and. More like what Cat Vance Anson did than, than anything, but uh, obviously Jeff Kent's not on that level. But he's not a player that people like or should. I'm trying not to be too jerky about this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I heard stories about him where he he, he like had no respect for the game. He didn't care about past players. He didn't care about. You know the history of the game, and I, I guess that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but when you look at his numbers, compare his numbers to Ryan Sandberg as far as war and, and OPS, yeah. it, I mean,
3: he blows him out of the water. Yeah, he was a terrific <laughs> player, and and he should be in the hall, and I do prioritize getting those guys over that 5%. Uh, I think it's it, again, it's absurd that that Jim Edmonds fell off, that Kenny Lofton fell off, yeah, that Kevin yeah. Brown fell off. Yeah. These are players that, that even if you don't think they're a Hall of Famer, I think they were, but even if you don't, there should have been a serious Jim Edmonds conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there should have been a serious Kenny Lofton conversation where you had mm-hmm. to give points and people respond to those points with, with rebuttals and, and their opinion. Yeah. You didn't even you didn't have that. And that's nope. and when you have these guys that don't you don't have that discussion, you're really doing the Hall of Fame a disservice. Because now because because of all the stuff around Bonds and Clemens, we have to talk about Bonds and Clemens every year when they pretty obviously should be in. Uh, I don't want to try to open up a whole new can of mothballs. <laughs> it's like we're talking about Bonds and Clemens every single year uh, mm-hmm. because they're on the ballot every single year. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really frustrating situation. I think eventually if the Hall of Fame needs to be taken seriously, they're going to have to really have a committee – and not just one populated by the same failing veterans committees, but a modern uh, with, with, with younger writers, uh, some analysts that maybe aren't in the Baseball Writers Association, they're going to have to have some kind of a 90s, 2000s committee just to clean up the mess that their policies have left. Because they're making difficult situations worse. They, they reduce the time on the ballot from 15 years to 10 which just makes everything worse. Uh, it wasn't anything the writers asked for. Uh, we, we voted last year to uh, make all Hall of Fame ballots transparent to improve that part of the process. The Hall of Fame threw that back in our faces this year and said, no, we want we want people to be able to still keep their ballots private. Uh, we asked for a larger ballot because every so many people are running into problems with 10. They said, no, we're going to keep it at 10. The Hall of Fame is just shows no interest uh, about doing anything (laughs) but letting Joe Morgan publish sanctimonious letters.
2: Do you think the Hall of Fame's broken at this point? And, I mean, if it is broken, do you think it can be fixed? And how would you fix it if you were given that leeway?
3: I, I would, first, I would have every single person who's on the Hall of Fame board to just not be involved anymore. I just clean house. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I think that the Writers Association I think the votes are getting better generally speaking uh, they've done a lot to kind of uh, remove some of the people who aren't really connected to the game in any way nowadays because you had you had people who've been retired for 25 years, you had people who've covered other sports for 20 years and yeah. <laughs> have little connection with what's going on today and ask them to pass judgment uh, I think over time the problem with the poor writers' votes, will, will tend to work itself out. Uh, if you look at, like, kind of the newer ballots coming in, the public ballots, they tend to be a lot better than the private ballots. So I'd also institute complete vote transparency. If you can't back up your vote in public, this isn't a federal election. This is supposed to be a panel of experts. This isn't voting for president. There's no reason to have a secret ballot. If you can't defend... Your choice is on a Hall of Fame ballot. You're not actually an expert.
0: That's so, definitely that's, true. Fair. That's, I, that's, I think
3: <laughs> that's what I go
2: with. Yeah, I think the, no, the ten player thing is also ridiculous. That there's like fifteen to twenty guys that you could probably argue for, and you can only vote for ten. It's like that's going to lead to guys like Andrew Jones falling off the ballot, which is to me a travesty. He's and... stupid,
3: yeah. I think he still has a, a decent shot. Yeah, he's close enough. Uh, Johan Santana. Yeah, that's, who, that's another. another
2: one. That, that's another
3: one. A guy who i my watched, mind.
2: Like, that's one of the only players I've watched like my whole life, basically. And yeah, I mean, a guy like oh, that. poor Patrick, poor Patrick.
3: <laughs> I mean, his, I mean, Santana. His 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 peak is like ninety percent of Koufax's peak. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. And, yeah,
3: and yeah, that's only ninety percent of Kofax. But should Koufax be an inner circle Hall of Famer? Like a slam dunk. In, in, yeah. yeah, slam dunk. And
2: Santana's not even in the yeah, conversation, but, really.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little stupid.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, so,
3: it's and well, it's uh... not even it's not even close enough where we where we can save him. So I yeah. think Santana is being Kevin Brown, he's being Lou Whitaker. Uh I think Roland will survive. I'm still more confident that Andrew will survive another year to fight again uh rather than not uh but uh santana's toast unfortunately he's not getting like it's like 21 votes
1: yeah there's not going to be a, a save johan santana campaign that's going to save him at this point right
3: no there's so many guys we need to save it's
1: <laughs> yeah really the, the whole process is is just it, it's broken like we say and it, it needs to be fixed and it's slowly getting better um We'll just have to wait and hope that it that, that it does get better. Uh, I do agree with you on Hoffman. He should be in eventually. It's just a matter of time. Uh, we're all hoping for this year for sure. Uh, Closures value can can definitely be up and down, uh, which leads me to my next question about Brad Hand. Uh, what is your thought process or your thought on Brad Hand uh, and whether or not the Padres will be able to deal him? And, and what is his value at this point right now?
3: Uh, well, he does have good trade value, and I think they would have gotten probably probably the best package they were ever going to get, either at the trade deadline or uh, this this winter. I think that was going to be the best package they get, uh, because people people get a little greedy sometimes, uh, and with pitching, you can get in trouble very quickly. When yeah. uh, I, I, I point to, of course, Tyson Ross.
1: Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say that.
3: <laughs> who the Padres decide to hold on and hold on to because we're going to max out the value. But guess what? Pictures get injured all the time. Pictures are the mm. are the sports equivalent of a vase on the edge of a table <laughs> with a cat on the table. That is really. what the pictures are. They're, they're, they're very fragile. You look at the Orioles with Zach Britton. <laughs> that, that trade oh. is not happening oh. now. You look, yeah. You look at the at the A's. They did eventually get a good package for Sonny Gray, but they would have gotten more a few years ago. Uh, and mm-hmm. you can you can you can count so many of of opportunities that that teams have just lost by just waiting and waiting for the max. Uh, now sometimes it doesn't backfire on you, like uh, the the White Sox uh, with uh, Jose Quintana, but they didn't get a an appreciably better package for the risk they took. They would have gotten a pretty awesome package the previous winter as well. Uh, so I, I think that when an opportunity comes up, it's not like there were all, some team was offering some 145th best prospect in the organization for hand. He would have gotten significant prospectage. Uh, so yeah. I think that, that do you sooner think, Do you think better there's, than later. Do you
1: think there's a Hosmer correlation? Somewhere? I mean, not that... I mean, we've been through this Hosmer talk. He's not going to come and save the Padres. They're not going to win 90 games next year. Do you think that they're a little hesitant about dealing off pieces to the, uh, I don't I want to say like a 500 team at this point, uh, just in case they do sign Hosmer? Is, is is there some kind of correlation between Han and Hosmer, do you think?
3: I, I think that it's probably not a Hosmer or bus situation. If the team, if ownership is that desperate to try to quick shot uh a, a winning season, I think that they won't just find their senses when uh if, if Hosmer signs back with the royals uh so i'm, I'm I, I suspect they'll do other things, but you know there's actually a like a little ray of hope, and I pointed mm-hmm. to the Atlanta Braves, and when the Braves when the new stadium was approaching, the team made so much noise about saying, hey, we're going to trade some players, we're going we're gonna to win and put a winning team in the new stadium. They made a lot of noise about that. But in the end, they actually stayed pretty responsible. They didn't do anything that blocked a player. They didn't trade significant prospects for players. They didn't make any crazy signings. So there's at least a chance that some of this is just public posturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that, that can backfire on you, because if you overpromise, it's a bit like telling a kid... That, that like all year, like for your birthday, we're taking you to Disney World. Yeah, Disney World. And then when your birth, when the birthday, uh, we're taking you to Pizza Hut. Yeah. Exactly. And you say, well, what? What? And then you say, "Oh, well, we wanted you to be excited for your birthday." It's like, no, no, no. Once you promise that, mm-hmm. you're you're, mm-hmm. you're you're kind of expected at that point to fulfill that promise. Uh, so they they can get in trouble with that. Uh.
1: Yeah, they they definitely can. Well, as in as in life and in baseball, we've gone full circle and uh come back to Air Cosmer and I think on that note Uh, we should say goodbye Dan I I really appreciate uh, your time Uh, Patrick and I enjoy talking to you uh, immensely you have a lot of knowledge about the game and uh, we're not jaded enough to to not listen (laughs) to some critique about our our Padres because they are definitely a work in progress I mean, the the team is is a mess, they've been a mess for a long time there are reasons to be positive about this team uh, that is for sure, but then they do head scratching things that kind of just make you say what the hell um I I I don't know I don't know what else to say about about uh,
3: the it, it, it it's funny. Uh we have like a like a Hosmer situation of our own uh because we alternate years when I'm on the on the podcast in which I'm pessimistic and optimistic. Yes. Yeah, and seriously. I I was more optimistic last year and I yeah. was more pessimistic the year before that, and I'm more pessimistic this year. Uh they might all of a sudden get the rebuild back on track, and then next year I'm going to be super optimistic. So yeah, we have the, yeah. the Hosmer on year, off year type thing going.
1: Yeah, we'll be talking about Tatis and, and Urias, uh and Quantrill and Lauer, uh, Zips projections next year. At this time, I, I would hope. Well, well, we we can only hope at this point, right? Um, yeah, well,
3: I mean, that that's all a fan has in the end it, is hope.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we've uh, we've had our share of hope here in San Diego. That's for sure. Thank you again, Dan, for for coming on. Uh, I was a little disappointed that that uh, the Padres weren't on your 2018 stealth contenders uh, piece. I'm sorry, but but, uh, again, reality set in, and uh, you know it is what it is. Uh, Perhaps the 2019 stealth contenders piece the Padres will be on, right?
3: Well, we'll we'll see about that. (laughs) I'm not making promises ahead of time. Just like Disneyland, you guys say, "Hey, you said I would." we would be on the list next year. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, but I didn't know that they were going to uh, trade half the farm system for Avicel Garcia. Or something. Oh, yeah. oh no, so please. I, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to make we'll start rumor. rumors. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. That's not a rumor. That's yeah. something I just made up. Now there's no, as far as I know, there's no Avi Garcia buzz traded yeah. for, <laughs> for quad <Quantrill>, uh, Yeah,
1: <laughs> Yeah. Add in names. That'll make it better. <laughs> yeah. that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> All if, right. You should, you should you should head the uh, the podcast the Twitter thing like Zaborsky talks about Avi Garcia, yeah. <laughs> Garcia the,
1: the trade. Yeah, Garcia
3: for Quantrill trade. It's in the,
1: yeah.
2: Garcia. Just for yeah. that. <laughs> I, th-
1: I think the the title of the podcast will be "No Walmart Pants." <laughs> <laughs> no early Walmart uh, jeans. There we go. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining us. Uh, in case you guys don't know, he's ESPN baseball analyst and Zips creator. Uh, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Zimborski. That's D-E-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I.
2: Wow, he uh, Dan th- th- it. A lot I of know. letters.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all just jumbled letters. Uh, thank you so much, Dan, for, for coming on. I, I know that uh, you just did the Jagoff and Marver show, so we appreciate you coming on and uh, talking some more Padre baseball with us.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thank you, man. We'll see you again soon. Uh, so there you go, folks. Uh, Dan Zimborski talking about some Padre baseball. Uh, I realized that uh, Jagoff and Marver just did a podcast uh, with Zimborski last night, so the content might be a little bit redundant. But uh, I think that we got a little bit of some different information out of uh, out of Dan. What do you say, Patrick?
2: Yeah, I swear we scheduled this a week ago. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> a a surprise last minute thing. So yeah, uh, sometimes yeah. it happens. Uh, I, I I I don't think there's ever enough content, so I think I think there's plenty to talk about, and uh, I think both conversations are worth listening to. If, if for those who haven't listened to the other podcast, I would I'd recommend that one as well. Um, definitely both good conversations. Uh, Dan's always good conversation, so definitely
1: recommend. Yeah, for both. sure. All right, Padre fans. Well, lay off of Dan. All right, he's a he's a good guy. He uh, you heard it from himself. He, he enjoys trolling every once in a while. It's not a it's not a bad thing. He's kind of just. Kinda just uh, Poking fun at our Padres, and you know, it 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 happens that the team's been a mess for a long time. If you guys don't have thick skin, then you must be a new Padre fan because you, you need to just kind of lighten up uh, on Mister Zimborski.
2: Yeah, it's not a grand conspiracy to hate the Padres. I mean, they're just kind of no. easy, they're easy to hate when they're making some sort of questionable decisions. And I think it's like like Dan said, when they're the only piece of news in town, I mean, it's easy to kind of center in on them and kind of focus in on them. So I wouldn't be yeah. too much into him hating the Padres or thinking that they're some awful franchise. So yeah, just, just no. take it easy, guys. Relax. Yeah. We're OK. We're all we're all live. just new year.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a new year. New beginning. Uh, 2018 is just around the corner. Padre baseball is heating up. Uh, thank you, folks, for joining us. This was episode 79 of the EVT podcast podcast. Uh, Patrick, you want to take us out? Uh, we actually have some exciting guests coming up in the next uh, week or so. Uh, definitely stay tuned for that. Um, I think we're good to go, with Patrick. If you want to take us out of here,
2: yeah, we're uh, we're heating up in the new year, trying to get some new guests and uh, keep it going here. Um, we're hosted on Podbean, as always. Uh, you can find us on pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether that's Podcast Republic, um, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. The list goes on. Um, we are on Twitter uh, at EVT Podcast. James is at EVT News at EVT underscore J Clark. Or I should say they're both underscore in the middle. Uh, I'm Patrick Brewer ninety three, and we are the East Village Times podcast, and we are signing out.
0: EVT is out here broadcasting. broadcasting. EVT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick ask them. ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick ask them. Cadres EVT podcast. Cadres EVT podcast. podcast.